Amen. Well, good morning. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are new here this morning. My name's Alex, and uh, we're really glad you're joining us here on a Labor Day weekend. Thanks for being a part of uh, Chatham Community Church, whether you're in person or online. Uh, what we're all about is really simple, connecting people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning. This is week two of a series called Soar, the song we just sang. Very appropriate for what we're talking about. We're talking about this idea that God made us in God's image that we might soar, that, is, that we might be full of God's character, God's grace, God's truth, that that might fill us in all our ways, all our days, and that we might then become men and women who demonstrate something of God's character, God's nature in the world around us. That is that we, uh, we take God's love, we take his character, we take his goodness, we then turn around and love God, love our neighbor, and we make some meaningful contribution to the world. It's going to look different from different personalities, different stages, different seasons of life, but that we take the resources God gives us and we do our best to sort of pour them out into, into the world around us. But we also know that there's all kinds of things that war against us soaring, right? There's the grind of everyday life. There are major setbacks and challenges and complications that threaten to ground us. And so what we're doing is we're looking over these six weeks at different characters of the scripture who face all kinds of challenges, opportunities, situations, obstacles. And we're going to watch as they soar in the face of those challenges, oppositions, and obstacles. Because it turns out that soaring has much less to do with circumstances and a whole lot more to do with being oriented toward the God who is God over those circumstances. That you can be a, a man or woman of character, demonstrating God's character, no matter what's happening in the world around you. And soaring might not always look like the way we want it to look like. It might take us down paths we'd rather not go, just like it did for Jesus. But the same God who raised Jesus from the grave wants to pour resurrection resilience into you and invite you to follow him into soaring. Wherever that might lead you, whatever path that might take you down, even if it takes you places you'd rather not go, just like it did for Jesus. So today we're going to ask the question, how do you soar when there are more demands on you than resources available to you? How do you soar when there are more demands on you than resources available to you? Almost all of us have had some season of our lives where we feel a little bit swamped, right? Where we feel like, I don't have the time, don't have the energy, don't have the ability, the bandwidth to manage the crisis, manage the situation, right? So kids, first week of school, some of you, first day, felt a little overwhelmed, right? With the syllabus, the first day, whatever, Colby, you're going to be okay. I trust you, you're going to be fine. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Moms and dads, if you've got little kids at home, you're being pecked to death by merciless chickens. They follow you to the bathroom, right? Like, how do you soar when you're being followed to the bathroom by the toddler, right? How do you soar when you take on a new project at work or get a promotion and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. This is way more than I can handle. How do you soar when you're trying to come alongside a friend or family member who's grieving? They've lost someone. You don't have the words. You don't know what to say, what to do. How do we do this when I, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the needs around me? How do you soar when you feel like I'm trying to spin the place between school and ballet and basketball and Uno Club and Lego robotics and soccer and volleyball and all the things that I'm trying to juggle with the schedule and the kids? How do you soar when there's just all this stuff pulling at you? How do you soar when there are more demands on you than resources available to you? We're going we're gonna to sit in a story of someone who's exactly at this place in his life. I'm going to watch him, how he makes a prayer to God that empowers him and enables him to soar. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3 today. A little bit of backstory. King David, greatest king of ancient Israel's history. His son, he dies, and his son Solomon steps up into the throne in 1 Kings. 
And, and, and chapter 2, it's kind of a bloody chapter. There's some, some people kind of conspiring that want to take over the throne. And so Solomon has to like deal with those people. And then by the time we get to 1 Kings 3, the kingdom is, sol- is, is firmly in Solomon's hands under his control. And, uh, and he is going to meet the Lord in a really unique way here at the beginning of his reign. And the story opens with a little bit of an ominous note in 1 Kings chapter 3 about kind of a thing that's going to be a, a, tripping, a, a tripping hazard for the people of Israel and for Solomon himself. Here's how 1 Kings 3 verse 2 opens up. The people of Israel, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. We're talking about those high places here in a minute. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices because that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Well, for those of you who are new here, last couple of weeks, uh, the church gave me a great gift this summer. Eight weeks sabbatical is wonderful. Hired a coach. And part of what the coach did with me is he wanted me to look back over my whole life and to take inventory, right? What are the themes, the patterns? How has God met me along the way? What are the mistakes I've made? How have I learned from those mistakes? All kinds of good things. And one of the things as I looked at my 20s was I had a very, very unhealthy pattern. And the unhealthy pattern was this. My work determined my identity. And because my work was ministry, it also determined how I related to God. So if work was going good, I was awesome and God was great. And if work was not going well, I was a disaster, I was a failure, and maybe God didn't love me or maybe God was mad at me, right? So all this weird, unhealthy enmeshment between my work and my identity that then trickled over to my relationship with God as well. Now, because I'm in ministry, that, 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 that affected my, my, my relationship with God in a particular way. But you don't have to be in ministry to have this thing where your work and your identity, whatever your work is, whether you're a parent or you're working at IBM or whatever, where that becomes this thing that sort of defines you in an unhealthy way. And as I reflected on me in my 20s and kind of on how unhealthy all that was, what struck me was how patient God was with me. Because God met me in my 20s and did some really remarkable things in my life and in the ministry I was a part of in really amazing ways. And what I saw as I looked over the decades was God was very nice, very patient, very kind in his grace to meet me when I was kind of a mess and to slowly over the decades disentangle three things that never should have been tangled up in the beginning. He's meeting me in the unhealthy place to lead me to a much healthier place where my work and my identity and my relationship with God are all three separate things that are interrelated but not codependent on each other. God met me in the unhealthy place to lead me to a much healthier place. The author of 1 Kings sounds this note that's very ominous because it sets the stage really for the rest of the Old Testament. That the people of Israel were still sacrificing at the high places because God's temple had not been built yet. Solomon's going to build that during his reign. That's coming in a couple of years. But for right now, there's these high places that the people are still sacrificing at. And then Solomon himself, the scripture says, was a rock star. He was fantastic, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense at these high places. Now, these high places were these shrines that were sprinkled all throughout Israel. Some of them, many of them were left over from the Canaanites who were in Israel, who were in the land before they got there. Others were uh, sort of built as shrines to other gods. They were places of other gods. And from this point, for the whole rest of the Old Testament, high places are going to be thoroughly condemned. 
Like anytime a high place is talked about, it's always negative. The prophets speak against the high places. God himself speaks against the high places. The high places are the stumbling block for Israel for the rest of the Old Testament story. And a couple chapters after this, Solomon is called to start building the temple. And that temple is going to be a place of worship for all the nations. And God himself is going to dwell there. In the meantime, before the temple is built, Solomon here goes to the most important high place. He goes to Gibeon. That's the most important high place. And even though the high places are going to be condemned and are bad, 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 bad for the whole rest of the Old Testament, God meets him right there at the high place. God meets Solomon in the wrong place. It's going to be the wrong place in like five pages in the Old Testament. It's about seven years. But I want to invite us into this tension. What's God doing? Why does God sort of meet Solomon in the wrong place? And I want to suggest to you, my proposal is that God's meeting Solomon in the high places to lead him away from the high places. God is meeting Solomon in the wrong place in order to eventually lead him and the whole nation to the right place. That is the temple that Solomon's going to build. Because the temple's not built yet. So this, this is all Solomon knows. This is all Solomon's got. And so he shows up as faithful as he knows how and makes a sacrifice to God. And even though the high places are not the right places, eventually not the place where the long-term place, God meets Solomon even here in his grace and his mercy and his kindness in order to hopefully eventually lead the nation and Solomon himself away from the high places. God's accommodating for Solomon in grace and mercy, but he's not affirming where he is. But it might be tempting for Solomon to justify the high places, right? It might be tempting for Solomon to justify the high places. God met me here once at Gibeon, the most important high place. Maybe high places are okay. And in fact, as Solomon gets older, these high places become his undoing. He becomes, he becomes uh, less devoted to the God of David and the God of Israel, and he becomes a cover-your-bases kind of a guy. Some of, you are, some of you know people like this, or you're one of these people. Cover-your-bases kind of people are like, well, I worship God or Jesus, but I keep my foot in Buddhism. I keep my foot in all these other places to make sure I'm covering all the bases. This is exactly what Solomon does. He starts putting up all these high places to these other gods later in his life as he gets more and more engaged and intertwined with these other gods from other nations. And the same high places where God meets Solomon at the beginning of his reign become his undoing at the end of his reign. But when we're just starting out or restarting in a spiritual journey, God will meet us anywhere. Isn't that great about God? God is so generous and gracious to meet us in the midst of our mess. Just like me in my 20s, when my identity and my relationship with God and my work was all entangled up, God met me in the midst of that place, but that wasn't like an affirmation of that place. That was the place where I was. And so God was going to meet me there to tell me to disentangle things that never should have been tangled up in the, in, in the very beginning. But the mistake I might make is like, well, God's affirming this thing, so it must be okay. And Solomon is going to make that mistake, and I don't want us to make that mistake here. God meets us right where we are, even if it's not ideal, in order to move us, because soaring often depends on moving. Soaring often depends on moving on from the place where God met you. I'll talk to people who are in the midst of crisis, or tell me a story of crisis, and they'll say, man, in the midst of that crisis, sometimes that crisis is stuff that they did to themselves, right? Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Sometimes people create the crisis themselves, and they'll say, man, God, God got me out of that mess. And then the story is, nothing changed. They kept doing the exact same things that got them into the mess to begin with. God met them in the mess, in the crisis, to lead them out of that, to, to make different change, to change patterns of behavior, patterns of organization, orientation, patterns of thought, 
Have habits. God meets us right where we are to lead us to someplace different. Or maybe you're just super busy, right? Like life is busy. We're all kind of running and running and running. And some of us are just sort of skimming, skimming along, right? Skimming, doing the best we can, and sort of skimming spiritually as well. And God in his mercy is glad to meet us wherever we are, even if we're just barely skimming along. But man, the, the Lord is always inviting us, always inviting us, always inviting us. He's going to meet you right where you are. He's going to invite you further up and further in, deeper places, wider places, wiser places, more grounded Places. My friends, is there a step you need to take today to move away from where you've been, even if God's meeting you there, in order to follow God into the story? Is there a next step in your spiritual journey where, hey, God's been meeting you there for a while, but he's inviting you. He's like, no, I'm meeting you here, but I want to move you somewhere that you might follow me into a, a life of genuine soaring, a life that is genuinely full of God and God's character and where you're an instrument of God's grace wherever he might send you. God is good to meet us wherever we are, especially early on in our journey. At the, at the beginning of Solomon's reign, he's going to meet him here in those high places. Wherever you are in, in your spiritual journey, God's good to meet you, especially if you're starting or restarting a journey. But the invitation to soaring often requires that we are open to moving. So the Lord meets Solomon there at Gibeon, the most important high place. And he extends this wonderful blank check invitation. God says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't that be great? If God appeared to you in a dream tonight, what would you say? If God appeared to you in a dream tonight and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you, what do you think he'd say? Here's what Solomon says. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as, your, as David, your father, did, I will give you a long life. So how do you soar? How do you soar when there are more demands on you than resources available to you? You seek wisdom. You seek wisdom. We seek and ask the God who is the source of all wisdom to give us wisdom to steward this moment and all future moments as best as we possibly can. There is a God who is wisdom. Wisdom is not an idea, not a concept, it's a person. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus' best friend John is going to describe Jesus as the Logos, the Logos, the one who is the wisdom of the universe, the one who is the one who, the order of the universe, the organizing principle of the universe. The reason why everything hangs together is because there's a wisdom in God 
in Christ Jesus, who embodies that wisdom, who then brings that wisdom, makes it available to us. And so there's an invitation when you are feeling swamped and overwhelmed with life, with obligations, with opportunities, when you don't know which way to go, there's an invitation to be a man or woman who seeks wisdom, godly wisdom, the wisdom of God, that you might then become a person who soars in the midst of whatever challenges, obstacles, or opportunities God puts in your path. To be wise is to be able to integrate life and make wise, and choose wise paths along the way. Right? To be smart is to know a lot of stuff. Some of you are very smart. I've known very, very smart people who weren't very wise. You can be very smart and not very wise. To be smart is to know a lot of stuff. To be wise is to be able to integrate what you know with the present challenges or opportunities in front of you and to choose the best path that then results in love for God, love for people, and makes a meaningful contribution to this world as best you possibly can. To be wise is different than to be smart. To be wise is to be able to make those choices that actually bring that smartness, bring whatever resources you have to bear to problems, that you solve them as best you possibly can. So Solomon... It's in over his head. He's king. It's early on. He feels a little stressed out, a little overwhelmed with the opportunities and challenges in front of him. God comes to him with this blank check. Ask for whatever you want. And so here's how Solomon's prayer begins. Solomon starts his prayer by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. He says, listen, God, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David. That word kindness is, is a little bit too weak. It means covenant faithfulness. That means, God, you have made promises to my father David, and you've kept every single one. God, you are a promise keeper. A great place to start in a prayer with God when you feel overwhelmed and swamped with life is to remember God's past faithfulness, to lean into his future faithfulness. A great place to start when you're feeling overwhelmed with life is to remember God's past grace and to trust and, and fuel you into his future grace. Remembering God's past faithfulness helps us to know the character of God. Remember, right? We remember to put the pieces back together again. And remember, God's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the future. Solomon starts with that. And then Solomon names his reality. Here's the reality. I am just a little kid, and I don't know how to carry out my duties. The literal phrase there about carry out my duties is I don't know how to come in and go out. Ever felt like that way? I don't know how to come in and go out. I don't know my left or my right. I don't know upside down. I'm completely upside down. I'm totally overwhelmed, right? I'm just a little child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. I'm the king now. And the, and the demand is great, right? Uh, Solomon names the people you've chosen are great people, too numerous to count or number. This is an echo of God's promise to Abram a thousand years earlier. God brings Abram out and says, look at the stars, count them if you can. That's how many of your descendants are going to be. You're not going to be able to count them. And, Abraham, and, and Solomon here declares, promise fulfilled. Here they are, all these people. But now I'm king. And king sounds like a good gig, right? Wouldn't it be nice to be king? Wouldn't it be nice to be king? And yet, there's all these opportunities and all these challenges and all these threats. And I'm just a little child. And I don't know how to come in or go out. And every opportunity comes with, a, with accountability from God. Every opportunity in your marriage, with your small kids, with your big kids, with your in-between kids. Every opportunity for in retirement, every opportunity at work comes with accountability. How are you going to steward the challenges, opportunities, choices that are in front of you? Solomon says, I'm overwhelmed with the opportunities and the challenges in front of me. So God, would you give me wisdom? What do you do? How do you soar when there are more demands on you than resources available to you? Will you become a man or woman who seeks 
after wisdom. That's what Solomon does. This is probably one of my most consistent prayers for the last 25 plus years of my life. And what I realized at one point as I was thinking about wisdom and praying about wisdom was what I wanted was a wisdom software update download. Right? I go to bed stupid, I wake up wise. It just magically happened, right? Software update, right? Wisdom software update download. It just happens while I'm sleeping. And ta-da, I wake up and I'm like a guru, right? Just like all this thing. And, of course, and what I realized, of course, is it doesn't work that way, right? Soaring often requires moving and there are, move, there are paths of wisdom that make us wise people. So I want to I name these paths because I think we have to be intentional about pursuing them because if we're just drifting through life, we don't become men and women of character. If we're just drifting through life, we don't soar. There's, there's some intentionality required to cultivate the character, to cultivate that orientation toward God, to open us up to God's wisdom, that you might soar in the midst of challenges. So I'm going to lay three paths, not the only paths, but three paths to wisdom, okay? Path number one is direct from God. Spirit and scripture. Direct from God, right? Direct from God, spirit and scripture. So when you trust in Christ, the New Testament tells you this great, great news. When we trust in Christ Jesus, the Father pours out the Holy Spirit into your heart. Jesus will say later, hey, listen, the Father delights to give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. Are you asking for the Holy Spirit? Ask for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fills us and then prompts us, nudges us, convicts us of sin, invites us into partnership with the Lord. Sometimes the Spirit will give us conviction and just kind of a conscience thing. Sometimes the Spirit will give us dreams. A word about something, situation. This doesn't happen to me very regularly, but I have had sort of punctuated experiences in my life where dreams have been a place where I feel like the Spirit totally gave me something that I needed to act on or respond to. I want to invite you tonight before you go to bed, just open yourself up to the Father. Father, Jesus says I should ask the Holy Spirit. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit tonight. If you want to give me a dream, I'm open to it. Just see what he does. Just be open to the Spirit. Not just a dream, but anywhere, right? And, and, and if you're new to that and it seems kind of weird to you and something happens, you have a, a conviction, I want to invite you to ask someone who's a little older and wiser in the Lord. Does this sound like the Spirit to you? And if it does to you and to that person, go do it. Don't harden your heart. Be responsive and see what the Spirit might do. Again, this doesn't happen to me all the time, but it's available to us. And I want to invite you to ask the Lord for the Spirit. The second place that uh, is available to all of us, Scripture. This is a place that is more consistently a place where I meet the Lord and get direction. Now, for some of us, the Scripture is hard because it's a big book and where do you start? And the Scripture is not going to tell you if you should take a new job or not, right? So that's what we want. We want, like, answers to the question. Should I take this job? Should I take this job? The Scripture is not going to answer that. What the Scripture is going to do, though, is ask you to ask the question, what's in my heart and why am I chasing after that other job? Is it the money? Is it approval? Is it applause? Am I trying to prove something to somebody? Am I just, do I just want uh, a new title next to my name? Am I doing this out of the wrong motivations? Ambition, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, trying to prove something to somebody. Or am I actually doing this out of faith, hope, love, courage? Those are very different motivations. The scripture is going to help you to, to discern, call you to evaluate, call you to look and say, hey, are my priorities, are my values in line with the values of the kingdom of God that Jesus has come to inaugurate? The only way you develop a lens and a heart that has the, and the intuition to know what's the kingdom of God and what's just my own ambition or whatever is the scriptures, allowing the scriptures to shape how you see the world, how you see yourself, how you evaluate your options and how you make those decisions. How do, you make, how do you grow in wisdom? What's one path of wisdom? You seek after wisdom. Ask for the Spirit. Study the Scriptures. Allow the Scripture to shape and, and give you shape and a, a vision for what life, the good life, actually looks like. That's path number one. 
path of wisdom, direct from God, the Spirit, the Scriptures. Path number two, surround yourself with wise people. Surround yourself with wise people, with mentors. That includes books and podcasts and YouTube videos. Not just cat videos, right, but actual videos that can help you to grow in your faith. Solomon will go on to write most of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is the crown jewel of wisdom literature, not just in the Bible, but of all of ancient literature. One of the wisest books like, that people from all traditions just draw from because there's so much wisdom in there. And one of Solomon's Proverbs is, whoever walks with the wise will grow wise. You walk with the wise, you grow wise. Find wise people. Put wise people in your life. Chase after them. Ask them questions and then shut up long enough to listen to their answers. That's hard for me. Find wise people who are living out faith, hope, love, following the Spirit. Understand the Scriptures better than you do. So put wise people in your life. You walk with the wise. You grow wise. This is part of why we do small groups around here. We do small groups around here so that we together might gather around Scriptures, a source of wisdom, process them together, and then... Through, by, the, by the power of the Spirit, we try to speak wisdom to one another as best we possibly can and encourage one another. This past week, my small group met to our fall kickoff meeting uh, for the first time this fall. Uh, this, the core of this small group started fall of 2019. We've been through some things since then, haven't we? The core of this small group started to meet together fall of 2019. And we've met together since fall 2019 to fall of 2022. And I can't tell you what a gift of grace it was to share COVID with these people. It was wonderful. We laughed together over Zoom. We cried together. People lost family members. People went through all kinds of changes, challenges. We went through social upheaval. We went through an election. And we walked together and we prayed together. And we tried as best we could to navigate the crazy of 2020, 2021 with wisdom as we did life together as best we possibly could in a COVID-restricted environment. It was such a gift of grace to share life with these people and do our best to walk wisely through the ups and downs of 2020, 2021, 2022. That small group just got started last week. I'm actually leaving that small group to start a new small group. I have no one in it yet. If you're looking for a small group, I got 16 spots all open. If you want a small group, come talk to me after the service. I would love to talk to you about my small group or find another one that might fit for you. We do small groups to try to encourage one another to walk as wisely as we can with the scriptures and with one another. On top of all that, there's all kinds of resources out there, right? Books, podcasts, all, kind, all kinds of stuff. Listen, lots of it's junk, obviously. Some of it pretends to be Christian, but it's really not. So find good resources and talk to people who love those resources. Talk to people who are in those spaces and say, hey, who's wise that I can walk with, that I can grow from? Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Find wise people. It's path of wisdom number two. Path of wisdom number three. Experience rightly reflected on. I want to, I want to, and I want to talk about this a little bit because it's really important. We say that experience is the best teacher. Not true. Only experience rightly reflected on is actually the best teacher. You can have an experience and bring, and make the wrong, wildly important take home application. You can have an experience and misinterpret it, right? So let me give you an example. You're in middle school, you have a terrible coach or a terrible teacher, and the decision you make from that experience is people in authority are terrible. Some of you actually made that decision. You had people in authority who weren't, who, who weren't trustworthy, who weren't good, and you're like, I don't trust people in authority, that's just how I'm gonna relate to the world. Now you can make that application, but it actually turns out to be very destructive to you, right? Like, and every, and every authority figure is someone that you view with suspicion and that you don't trust. 
I mean, that's going to be a problem for you because you're going to have a boss. Everyone's got a boss. 90% of us have a boss. So you get to retirement, you reach like the promised land and there's no boss. But until you reach the promised land of retirement, you're probably going to have a boss. And a great boss is a great gift. A great coach is a great gift. A great mentor is a great gift. And if you've got no category for someone older and wiser than you pouring into you as a good gift, and all you see is threat, 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 then you're cutting yourself off. You're not going to be a fully formed human being. You can have an experience and misinterpret it, misapply it. And you can have that same experience, have a terrible coach, terrible teacher, and say, you know what, there are people. The scripture says people are sinners, and that shouldn't surprise us, right? Yes, they're, you're going to have bosses that are terrible, you're going to have people, you're going to have coaches, but my friends, so you should guard your heart, that's a proverb, guard your heart. My friends, have a great coach, have a great teacher, have a great mentor, it's a great, great gift. And so that's, that's the path of wisdom, that's experience rightly applied, rightly reflected on, rightly integrated. There are bad people out there that are going to try to have power over you. You want to keep, keep those people in distance away as best you can, but man, you want to keep your heart soft and open to great teachers and mentors. And I want to speak especially to one sort of stream of this that I think is super like in our culture, and it looks like wisdom, it's a total fraud, and that is cynicism. Cynicism is a fraud of wisdom. It's fake wisdom. It's a complete corrupt version of wisdom. What cynics say is, I had hope, I had desires, I had a dream, I kind of trusted people for a while, and they let me down. People let you down. Systems let you down. Organizations let you down. To which we say, yes and amen, they do. And so what the cynic does is take the next step and say, you can't trust anything. Just see through everything. A cynic is scared. And they look cool, and they look smart, and look sophisticated. They got it all figured out. I, I see through everything. I don't trust anything. I don't trust anybody. And they, they think that they've got wisdom, and they don't. And I was so deep in a season of my life where I was so cynical. And then I realized it was stupid. And I realized I didn't want to waste another second of my life being a cynic. Because if you're consistently cynical about life, if you take cynicism and actually apply it across the board to everything and everybody, you know what it will do? It will destroy everything that matters. You cannot have a beautiful marriage, a great marriage as a cynic. Can't have a great career as a cynic. You can't build anything beautiful, strong, or lasting. Cynicism only deconstructs. It can't build anything that is beautiful, virtuous, or lasting. If you're here today and you're a cynic, I'm so glad you're here. I want to invite you to do this. Be cynical of your cynicism. Try that out. I became cynical of my cynicism. Cynical that this thing called cynicism could do anything valuable or worthwhile. Don't waste another second of your precious, beautiful, wonderful life being a cynic. It's a total waste of time. Total waste of time. And it looks so smart. It looks so wise. It looks so sophisticated. And, and our, our culture totally will feed into this. I want you to fight, fight, fight. Cynicism is not wisdom. It steals, kills, destroys. Jesus has words about who steals, kills, and destroys. That's the wolf. That's the thief. Satan, come and steal your joy. You cannot be joyful and cynical at the same time. You can be wise and joyful at the same time. This is an invitation to repent of the cynicism. Put on faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage. Live a soaring life, not a scared, push everybody away, keep everything away life. That's not wisdom. That's experience wrongly interpreted, wrongly applied. And the invitation from the Spirit is to become a man or woman who is wise in order that you might actually soar, not just look scared. Today's wildly important take-homes. One, God will meet us anywhere, even if it's not ideal, and especially in the beginning. But soaring often depends on moving with Him into places 
that are more open, more generous, more gracious, that are often sometimes different from where you started in order to get to the place where God wants you to be. God is glad to meet us, meet us anywhere in places, but places where he doesn't want, even where he does not want us to stay. So if you're here today and you're not a God person, not a Jesus person, coming back to faith, we're so glad you're here. Listen, God's going to meet you wherever you are, but the invitation of soaring is often an invitation to a place of moving with God in order that you might soar. Secondly, how do you soar when the more demands on you, the resources available to you? Seek wisdom, seek wisdom, seek wisdom. To steward this moment, this day, this hour. To steward these kids, this job, these opportunities, these challenges, this retirement, this money. You want to be a good, wise steward of the resources, opportunities, challenges, and threats before you. You will be held accountable before the Lord for how you stewarded all that you've been given. That's not a scared thing. That's just a point you to Jesus thing. Go seek wisdom three paths to wisdom we talked about one pursuing god directly scripture spirit ask for the holy spirit and then ask the question did i hear the holy spirit was that like was that was that dream the spirit or was that like last night's dinner totally get that question ask those questions find people who are older and wiser than you in the spirit and then respond move and step with the spirit as best you can study the scripture let it shape and, and, and give you a, give you a glasses and a paradigm to see your own heart and the world around you. Secondly, find wise people. Whoever walks with the wise will grow wise. Find wise people to walk with. Get involved in a small group. Find podcasts. Find books. And then three, I want to invite you to press into experience. But reflect on it in wise ways, helpful ways, thoughtful ways in front of God. Maybe with a therapist or a counselor or whatever you need to do to get to that healthy, wise, faithful place. And God in his mercy gives us experiences to teach us wisdom. And so today... We have the experience of the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. This place, where, this, this meal that Jesus gave us together. Here's what God did in his wisdom. God in his wisdom did this crazy thing. He puts on flesh, comes to get us. God in his wisdom puts on flesh to come to meet us right where we are. A fallen humanity, a lost humanity. God meets us right where we are. And the only way to get us to move from orphan sons and from orphan sons and daughters back to sons and daughters is for him to lay down his life for your sins and my sins, that we might be reconciled to a holy, perfect God. And on the night when he's betrayed and lays down his life in order to reconcile us home, he gives us this meal. He's doing what he's always doing, taking ordinary things, making them extraordinary. Takes ordinary bread breaks it, says, this is my body, broken for you, eat this in memory of me. He takes the cup, he says, this is my blood, shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins into all eternity, so that sin and death no longer have the last word over any of our lives anymore. Christ might, resurrection might. So it's an invitation today to come to the table, to be a man or woman of the table, to experience the grace of God here in these Tangible things, small little things that are reminders of larger, ginormous, eternal, spiritual realities. We're going to move down to the tables here in just a minute. I'm going to invite you to come. There's a table up here, a table up here, and then a table in the back, and two in the back as well. So just invite you to kind of make your way to the tables whenever you're ready. The, uh, the bread is all gluten-free this time, so everything is gluten-free for everyone, and the, the, uh, the, the juice is grape juice, so everyone's invited to come and share in this meal together. Here's what I want to invite you to do as we move to these tables. I, I want to invite you to do a little bit of reflecting on uh, what it means that God is mercy and grace is going to meet you here, and are there things that you need to confess before the Lord, just sin, distraction? 
Others, is there some work you need to do before the Lord? Just sort of say, okay, Lord, I need this today. I need your grace and mercy to wash me clean and to receive that grace and mercy as it comes. If you're here today and things are just hard, just hard space, hard season, there's medical issues, there's family issues, there's relationships, there's financial problems, whatever those problems might be, the prayer room will be open during communion. So as folks are moving to the tables, right through those curtains will be a prayer team. They'll be glad to pray for you and with you. Uh, I really want to encourage you to go and get prayer. You're, you're walking with the wise, growing in wisdom, allowing wise people to pray of you. They're not perfect, but they're gracious and they're good and they're there for you to pray for you. So I want to invite you to sort of avail yourself of wise prayers and let them pray for you, over you, and with you. Finally, this table is open to anyone who's proclaimed Jesus' name. It's not kind of me church's table. It's Jesus Christ's table. So if you belong to Jesus, this table belongs to you. If you're not yet a Christ follower, we're so, so glad you're here. We invite you to pass on this table and just be open to how the Lord might want to meet you right here in this moment and invite you to follow him. And if you want to take that decision, make that decision to follow him and be baptized, we would love to talk to you about that. So come talk to me after the service. My friends, we're going to move down to time of worship, reflection at the table. Let me pray for us as we move down to our time of communion. Lord God, thank you for being gracious and generous to us, to meet us right where we are. And I pray for my friends, all of us here this weekend. Pray for my friends online. Would our hearts be open to how you want to meet us? Would you open up our hearts to receive these gifts of grace? Thank you for being so merciful. Father God, thank you that in your wisdom, you, put on, you sent your son, put on flesh, to come and rescue us. So now we come to this table, and we avail ourselves of your rescue. Come, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Help us to walk in this grace and mercy, to receive the gift of the body and the blood of Christ that washes away our sin, invites us to know the wisdom of God. Help us to enter into this wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.